All right. Good morning. Good morning, everyone watching us online. It's good to be together. And uh, wow, we've been just enjoying just a continuous string of just marvelous weather. Um, trust that you were able to get outside this last week. I had some just incredible times of being able to walk and pray this last week. There was a, a young boy who called uh, a local church to ask the pastor if he could come by to pray for his mother who was very ill with the flu. And the pastor, he knew the family and he knew that um, he was aware that they were actually attending another local church in the community. And so he asked the boy, he said, well, um, shouldn't you be asking Pastor Simon uh, from the other church to come and pray for your mom? And the young boy replied, he says, yeah, but we didn't want to take the chance that whatever she has would be caught by him. Now, that wasn't a COVID joke, I promise. It wasn't written in response to COVID. But I want to, I want to talk this morning about why we pray. Like, really, why? Ask that question. And, and yes, like that, this title this morning, it's, it's intentionally a little cheeky, if you will, because prayer and, and the topic of prayer in the church can be a little taboo. Like, why do we pray? Well, because we're Christians. Like, thank you, Captain Obvious. Why do we pray? Well, maybe... We pray, Paul, because we're stirring up passion for God and we're learning how to be content in 2021, so we're going to pray. Yes, but beyond brilliant sermon titles, right? What's going to motivate us in our lives to pray? What is going to stir you up again, if you will, to use that term, to pray? And, and why is it important that we ask and explore this question. And so when I, I was thinking about that this week, and I came up with at least four reasons, and there's more, I'm sure. But the majority of people admit that they pray to some extent. But prayer is a generic term in our culture. It, it means many things. I remember watching the Alpha video lately on prayer, and they do some... Um, some questions and answers on the street with people who obviously some aren't followers of Jesus and they ask them about prayer and it's obvious that many, many people believe that they pray but who and what they're praying to can be very, very different. Secondly, the motivation for prayer and, and the expectations of prayer can differ greatly. Like, why am I praying and what am I what do I expect to get from prayer? Even in the church, there can be a whole spectrum of that. So we got to talk about this, explore this. Third, we want to talk and explore it because Scripture talks a lot about prayer. And fourth is because knowledge of something doesn't necessarily result in application. You can know a ton about prayer and it doesn't mean that you will pray. And... You know, how often have I said, or maybe some of you know, you've said you're talking with someone or whatever, and you're like, I'll pray for you. And because you say it because it's the Christian thing to say, I'll pray, I'll pray for you. And then how many times do you go in and you're like, I didn't pray at all for that? Honest, ask yourself that. There's times I've realized that. I'm like, oh, I said I'd pray for that. I 
never prayed about that. I've actually changed that now. When I, some of you might notice this. And I, I try to do this more now. I say, when the Lord brings it to my mind, I promise I'll pray for it. Unless I write it down. So we've come through a week of prayer and fasting. And so we've had time and we've set aside distractions to intentionally seek the Lord this week, both as individuals and together as the church. And just been so encouraging to see so many of you come out uh, as we've gathered this week throughout different times to pray together and for 2021 and what the Lord has for us. And it's been good. But prayer doesn't end here in, in that. It doesn't end because we had a program and a schedule and now we've done it and that's done and now we can get on with life. Fasting doesn't need to end today either. In fact, prayer and fasting can serve as a springboard, if you will, in our lives where there's intentional times of discipline and spiritual practices where they're necessary and they're helpful in our lives for growth. And and we've got to guard against compartmentalizing them. Like, I, do, I just do it for this week, and now I'm done, and it's, it's over with. Prayer is an ongoing practice. So prayer and fasting can actually help us in a lot of ways to sort of grow that in our lives. And intermittent fasts in our lives are, are incredible opportunities to spur hunger in us and passion for the things of God, to go without something, to be intentional to, to seek God. And to grow closer to him. And, and for those of us who struggle with prayer and find it difficult to remain consistent in it, and perhaps that's some of you, I, I hope that today encourages you and challenges you as we're going to look at scripture to, to apply. I, I hope that it challenges you and encourages you to apply prayer in your life. And so my intent today is to consider the question again of why do we pray? Like, really? Why? And I want to I give us some biblical foundation for the necessity and the importance of prayer in our lives. And so this morning, I want to I talk about four reasons why we pray. Uh, Lord willing, next week, Gene Enns, uh, who's now in Alberta, he's going to be bringing us a message. And then in two weeks' time, uh, I'm going to come back and I'm going to have part two of this message. Because as I was going through it this week, I realized that there was another part to this message. I thought it would be all today, and then I realized, no, there's actually something that's more, it's very obvious it's more of a part two. So we're going to get to that in two weeks. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open with me to Matthew 6. Um, so we were singing this morning. I was doing like, oh yeah, we're singing part of what we're reading this morning. Um, again, they're in... Uh, in the new song for the glory that we've been singing. So we're, we're, we're singing the Lord's Prayer, and, and now we're going to look at that in Matthew 6. It'll be on the screen um, as well as we read through it. So Matthew 6, verses 5, and we'll read to verse 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for these words. We thank you for how they show us how to pray, how they just talk to us about prayer and how you invite us into prayer. And so as we really seek to look at this question, like, why do we pray, Lord? I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that this wouldn't just be an intellectual exercise. This wouldn't just be a gathering of information. And Lord, that this wouldn't feel like, oh yeah, I know that. But Lord, that you'd stir our hearts to see what prayer an aspect of prayer is really about, Lord, we can't even talk about the depths of prayer in just a few short minutes in one message, Lord. Prayer is, is something that's so profound. Lord, we're asking this morning as we spend some time looking at prayer that you would, uh, you would stir us, Lord, that you would, you would really speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do everything you want to do through these words this morning in us. We pray this, Jesus, in your incredible, powerful, and everlasting name. Amen. So, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure many of us know that. Jesus is kind of most lengthy and well-known teachings in, in the Gospels. And in, this teach, in the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is hitting on a lot of pertinent and controversial issues, actually, of the time, the day that he was in. And you can see even here in these, these verses that we read here, he's not too worried about offending some of the prevailing thoughts of the day. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really, he's just like, he's hitting on things that it's like, this is going to really get at people and he doesn't care. And so here, he begins to teach on prayer. And so we're going to ask this morning as we look at these words, why do we pray? So the first we see is that it's about fostering relationship. We pray to foster relationship. Jesus says there, he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Do you know who the hypocrites are that he's talking about? He's talking probably to the Jewish, well not, he's talking to the Jewish religious leaders of the day and they're probably there. There's probably some on the periphery listening to him, and he's like, don't listen to those hypocrites. Don't be like them. <laughs> like, if you put yourself in the moment, it's like, what? Like, these are like the big dogs of the day, and he's like, don't be like them. They, they made a practice of showing everyone, this is how holy we are. Look at our public prayers. 
Look at what we do. They would stand on the street corners and they would pray to be seen and heard by others. And this, this is one way that Jesus, you know, you want to get a crowd's attention, like publicly call out the leaders. Go, yeah, don't be like them. And Jesus, he doesn't mince words. He says, what they're doing is all about image and it's all about seeing, being seen by others. It's all about showing off. It's all about looking very spiritual in the eyes of others. Oh, look at them. Long prayers full of pretense to draw attention to their knowledge. Look at all that I know. Look at how I pray. And look at, look at the importance of me. And Jesus says, whatever affirmation, whatever acclaim they receive by that, in, either by some people who are impressed by that or in their own minds, he's like, They've received the extent of their reward. That's it. They've got it already. And Jesus, he begins this focus on prayer by letting us know in this, it's all about relationship. It's not about show. It's not about who sees you. It's not about having to prove yourselves to others. It's about relationship. And Jesus, he presents God as a father. He says, his father, our father. This, this is personal. He says it's not about heaving up a bunch of words in the air to some distant being far removed from us. It's we're praying to a father who's our protector, who's our provider. You think about what a father is meant to be to his children and that's who we're praying to. And it's about what's done in the secret place. Apple of Silicon Valley fame, you've probably heard of them. All of you, you, you know the, the Apple I'm talking about. Shh, don't, don't, don't mention their name. They, they actually are known, Apple's known for their insistence with the relationships they have with their suppliers that they don't want their name mentioned. I was reading a long article about this and, uh, this week and Hyundai, recently they put out a statement uh, that they were working in partnership with Apple on some stuff in cars. And then all of a sudden, they quickly rescinded it and took out any mention of Apple. And if you know how Apple operates, you, you wouldn't be surprised by that. Corning, uh, they're the, the company that provides uh, all the glass screens for Apple's devices. They, they hardly will even mention Apple. The only time they do is if Apple mentions their partnership with them. In fact, their CEO, he said recently, he said, it doesn't feel quite right to even mention Apple's name out loud. And he admitted that within their company, they don't even mention them by name. They have a code word, and it's rumored to be the fruit company. I'm not making this up. Apple, they even sold a shirt at their campus store that said, I visited the Apple campus, but that's all I'm allowed to say. So you're like, what? Like, what's the big deal? Why, why all this secrecy? Well, it's, it's dating back to Steve Jobs, Apple's first CEO, where they have this value for secrecy. And they, they, Apple, and you know this, they love to rely on the element of surprise to grow their brand. That's why they have these big launch things that they do, and they love to keep it all under wraps. And so they, they tell their suppliers, don't mention us. Our Father in heaven also desires that we cherish the importance of the secret place when it comes to prayer. 
There's something about this place in the secret. It's an invitation to lay ourselves before the Father, to have a place where there's no barrier, there's no shame. And because Jesus has made us righteous, he invites us into the holy place, a place where we can bear the most vulnerable parts of ourselves before a loving Father. And so this is why the contrast that Jesus presents here is so stark. This public show of perfectly crafted prayer to make others impressed. He says it does nothing for the deepest longings of our hearts. It does nothing for the healing that only prayer in the secret can bring. And so how do, how do we understand Jesus' promise that those who pursue this secret place will be rewarded? Because he says, you will be rewarded if you do this. The connection is to the reward mentioned in verse 5 there. Why, why did the religious leaders of the day pray in public? Jesus says they've received their reward in full. They prayed because it was about human praise. It was about affirmation. It was about notoriety. It was about how others saw them. The need to want to be seen as important by others. But Jesus says, we receive this affirmation by fostering this relationship in the secret place with the Father. Rather than seeking it through our pride and ego and feeding off what others think about us, that's not it. Our identity is solidified in, the, in this place, in the secret with the Lord. And, and I don't think we can't miss the enormity of what Jesus says here. He says that the Father is unseen, but he sees you in the secret place. We, and this is so key for us because we can doubt all the time. Is God even there? Like, does he even hear me? Am I just talking to myself? Like, is this all just a bunch of like, what am I doing here? And Jesus says, no. He says he sees you. He hears you. So, is prayer then ultimately meant to be an exercise only for the secret place? That's a necessary question. What, what does Scripture reveal to us? Is prayer more of an individual practice or something the church participates in together? Yes. The answer is yes. There, there are different elements and aspects to prayer. The New Testament would strongly support a life of personal prayer and active involvement in prayer with others as well. And we're going to we'll touch on that a little bit more in part two. We'll look at the prayer with others part. But these, these verses here, they build a very strong foundation for our personal prayer lives. Having time and place where we enter into the secrets. But when Jesus, when he, when he shifts here and he teaches about the focus on prayer, and he says, this then is how you pray, he, everything's in the plural tense. Everything. It's not just about us as individuals, but about us together. So why do we pray, second? To recognize need and admit it. Because you could read verses 7 and 8. The verses, they're, they're there on the screen for you. And go, well, 
why then do I even need to pray? Like, the Father knows what you need before you ask him. Why, why bother? Why, why do I need to pray? I, like, I don't want to be just one of those people who, who just spews words out and just, like, just 10 more words and God's going to hear you, right? Just 10 more. Oh, you missed the mark. Now, now see, this kind of, like, this line of thinking, in, when you look at these, it kind of seems ridiculous. Like, no, no, Jesus is telling us to pray. Because he clearly says, this is how you should pray and when you pray. So, okay, we're supposed to pray, but the Father knows what I need before I ask him. So, because people have taken this verse, they forget the ones surrounding them, and they go, they've concluded, prayer isn't all that important. God knows what I need. I'm not going to bother to pray, whatever. And I, and I doubt any of us are there, well, but perhaps some of us are. You might be. And I think, whether or not we are, I think we struggle at various times in our lives when we're all, if we're honest about this, with the temptation, even subconsciously, to go, does prayer really matter in this situation? Does prayer really matter in that situation? Like, really? Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll do it because we're supposed to do it and it's, it's the Christian thing to do. But like, do I really believe that prayer is mattering here? Ah, that's, those are the things that I think we wrestle with. And then we go, we can go, God knows already. Like, whatever, I don't need to do it. But Jesus says these words here. Like, he clearly says it. So why would he say this while clearly wanting us to pray? Why would he mention that about what the Father knows? Because prayer is about us coming to recognize our need and admitting our need. Recognizing and admitting our dependence. It actually requires us to open ourselves up, to be transparent, to be vulnerable about where we're at and our insufficiency in ourselves to meet our needs. It's not about trying to convince God with my words of what I need. Like, did I pray the right way? Or oh, maybe if I was, I just, I'm not very eloquent. Or, oh, you know, like, oh, Jen is way more eloquent at praying than, than I am. So she probably, God hears her because, you know, she just knows how to craft that. I can't pray like that person. It's not about trying to convince God with my words of what I need. He knows what I need. So whether or not I pray the right way has nothing to do with it in, in one sense. God knows what I need more than what I know that I need. Even when I think I know exactly what I need and I'm going to tell God what exactly I need and how it should go. This is what I need, God. And if I pray boldly enough, and if I really get into it, and I really start to intercede, yeah, right? And it's like, no, because God knows what you need. So this is about humility then as well. Not seeing prayer as a means to an end. To get what I need when I need it. Which leads me then to anger because, well, God ignored me and how come he didn't give me what I needed when I needed it? But rather, prayer is a means by which I come to know God and learn a lot about myself and learn a lot about my motives and what's going on in my heart and surrendering myself. So this is why when 
You know, we have prayer lists, we have targets, we have requests, and we, we had that list this week of prayer and fasting. We want to pray for these things, right? And we're going, well, who are we to tell God about that? So we've, we've got to hold our expectations loosely, but there are some questions we can ask ourselves as guidelines for prayer items. And really, it's, it's based on verses 9 and 10 here that we sang this morning, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. We're kind of going to, I'm actually going to skip over those verses because that's, that's almost a message in itself. But really, these guidelines for prayer is based in that. Asking ourselves, do they seek to advance the kingdom of God and his purposes on this earth? Do our prayer requests, do they do that? Have we submitted them to God's will, meaning his timing and his plans, and not to our subjective wills? Are they in alignment with God's revealed will, meaning scripture, where he has revealed a lot for us? Are our prayer requests in alignment with that and his divine truth? Fourth, will they serve to lead me and or others into spiritual health and growth? If not, probably shouldn't be praying them. And five, I love this question. Why am I praying for this? No, really, why am I praying for this? Have you ever asked yourself that when you pray for something? Why am I praying for this? Really, what are my motives? And because God knows what we need before we even ask, we can trust him. So this is not about getting through a list. This is about seeking the heart of God. This is about opening our own hearts and growing in relationship with our Father in heaven. Third, why do we pray? to ask for help. In, in seeing that prayer is about relationship and it's about opening ourselves up to God, it's in that, it's not dismissing that we have needs that, that are genuine and, and needs that can feel overwhelming at times. It's not calling us to like some relational zen-like state with the Lord where we just get into this, oh, and our needs all just float away because it's about relationship. It's not that. God is relational, but he's also practical. He created the physical world in which we live, and it matters to him. God's involved with our needs, and he will care for us. He's a father. He's a father who loves his children. That doesn't mean that he gives us everything we want, though. Right? Just because you're a parent doesn't mean you give everything your kids want. At least I hope not. That's a recipe for disaster. God invites us to ask for help, to pray about our needs and involve him in asking for provision. Give us today our daily bread. It's a very simple prayer, but it's profound because we live in a world of achievement and accumulation. It's up to you to sustain your provision. Make sure that you're making the choices so that you have enough. And I'm not saying that stewardship of our resources isn't talked about in Scripture. It is. But there's this general belief and practice in the world around us that it's on your shoulders. It's up to you. Like, just consider the sheer amount right now of investment commercials that are everywhere. Like, Quest Trade. How many of you have seen commercials for Quest Trade? I keep seeing them everywhere. Like, and the whole message of Quest Trade is take your financial, uh, your financial needs into 
as your responsibility, put it on your shoulders to make sure that you're living the life that you want. It's up to you, and you better make sure you have a plan. That's the message. And, th- and this is a double-edged sword, because on one hand, we embrace the freedom to make choices and live our lives, but on the other side, it's all about the pressure that comes on us as a result. Like, you better figure it out. But God invites us to rely on him for our needs. The invitation to daily lay out before the Lord our lives and our needs. And, and Jesus' choice of words here are, at the very least, intriguing and perhaps really intentional. We're invited to pray for bread, which speaks to our physical need to be nourished and sustained. But I think perhaps it's even more than that. Because consider that Jesus spoke of himself as the bread of life. He came from Bethlehem, which meant the house of bread. Like bread was just, there's this thing about Jesus and bread and being the bread of life and being nourished and sustained by him. And so he even took bread as the, the very symbol that we eat and we partake of to talk about how he nourishes us spiritually. So bread is a big thing, and we are called to daily pray that he would give us our daily bread. So I think there probably is a double meaning in these words. And so I would suggest what that means is that it's referring to everything that we need each and every day, that we can and should bring before the Lord anything and everything in our lives. We can bring it all before him, looking to God for all of our provision. And inherent in this as well is surrender. It's declaring that I am not the sole individual responsible for my well-being and that I'm not actually sufficient in myself to get through. I don't have what it takes. I am in need. I am not enough. But God has all that I need. God is enough. And I can go to him and ask for help. Fourth and final reason. Why do we pray? To keep ourselves free. This kind of, we're going to jump over verses 9 and 10 and 11 and go into verse 12. Verses 12 to 15 here, they they reveal that sin, the effects of sin, the temptation of sin, and our need to extend and receive forgiveness for sin is not something that we should choose to ignore. The importance of freedom in our lives and to remain free from the debilitating effects of sin, it bears just such significance for our lives. In Galatians 5.1, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery that he was referring to there, this was the debate that was raging through the early church at the time. Some claiming basically you had to become a Jew if you were going to follow the way of Jesus. You had to do all their cultural practices. You had to become a Jew. And this strife that was happening in the early church, it threatened to divide the entire church. And we see it 
throughout the, the New Testament letters, accusations, demands, there's assassination of character, telling people they didn't measure up. All the telltale signs of division, all the telltale signs of unforgiveness were in the early church over this issue. And Paul says, it is for freedom that you've been set free by Christ. It's, it's fascinating when you look at the early church. We, they had this incredible move of the Holy Spirit, this explosion of growth. And it didn't take long for some serious issues to arise as a result of sin. This is the root problem that every single one of us deals with in our lives. We bury it, we put facades over it, or we pretend it's really not that big of a deal. The presence of sin and its residue in our lives. And Jesus, he knew the seriousness of sin. He had witnessed its power since the fall of Satan in the heavenly realms. He had seen Satan's deception in the Garden of Eden. Jesus had seen all that. He had encountered Satan himself in the wilderness and withstood his temptation. And the focus on this as part of Jesus' teaching on prayer should be enough to help us realize how significant of an issue this is. Because the danger is not just external, it's also internal. And it manifests itself in so many subtle and deceptive ways. So the Lord's Prayer here, I, I recited these verses as part of Bible reading in the morning in the school now for years before this year. Every day going in that I'd go in to teach, Every, at the end we'd, we'd, we'd recite the Lord's Prayer together. And, and I would marvel, over the years I marveled how kids would stand there and they'd memorize and they'd say these words like by rote. Like it was just habitual repetition. And as we were saying the words, they're moving and looking to exit the room before we're even finished. And I'm going, I, like I'm thinking, Kim, I, like these are powerful words we're saying. And kids are just like, it was just like, we're just doing this because we do this. And I, so... A couple times, at least a couple times throughout the years, I took a block of time to just say, okay, we're going to actually look at, I'm going to teach these kids line by line on the Lord's Prayer. And I would ask them, I'd be like, do you know, do you, and I would recite it and I'd say, do you know this line, what we're actually praying, what we're saying? And most of them would look at me like, I have no idea, or they didn't have a way, maybe they couldn't articulate it. And, and they'd look at me like, oh, I don't know. And so we talk about it, and I'd, we'd unpack it a little bit. And, and I always found it interesting, these words, that, you know, even the, the wording is difficult for kids to understand. Never mind adults. Like, adults probably have a difficult time. Like, forgive us our debts. Like, are we, are we asking God to help us pay our visa bill? Like, what are we doing here? Forgive us our debts? No. So we have to understand what we're doing here. Verse 12 is asking us, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And this is what verses 14 and 15 unpack. It's, it's this recognition, I've got internal sin that I've got to deal with. Verse 13 is asking God to protect us from being led into temptation. To, to give way to it, right? Not that when temptation comes, that's the sin, but to give way to temptation is the sin. And to deliver us, we're praying to deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from Satan, who is a real external danger. I'll, I'll touch a little bit more on that too in part two. 
The Apostle Peter, though, he speaks about the danger of Satan in his first letter. And he says, in his letter, Peter says that he is prowling around seeking someone to devour. He, Satan wants to devour people. And it tells us there to be alert, to be sober-minded, to be aware of what's going on around us. And it's said within the context of humbling ourselves and clothing ourselves with humility for one another. And the, the point of that is the root of sin in Satan was pride, and it continues to be the root of sin. It's pride. Pride unforgiveness, refusal to repent of sin in our lives. That leads us away from the Lord. Peter actually says there, he uses really strong words. He says, God will oppose you. If we don't deal with that in our lives, he, will, he opposes pride in our lives. It's so fascinating, right, and, and, and sobering that God's intention in his church God's intention in us is supernatural unity. That more than anything, the church would be known by our love for one another. That's what Jesus said. This is why Satan's counter to that in us and amongst us is unforgiveness that would stir all sorts of division in us. Jesus says, I want you to love one another. I want you to be known by that. And Satan says, I'm going to stir up unforgiveness and all sorts of offense in them. And then... How can they love one another? This is why prayer is such a profound gift to keep us living in the freedom of Jesus. To keep, to, to have us consider our thoughts, what's going on in our minds, to repent of that, to guard ourselves against that. We talked about that, right? About guarding our minds there. I think that was last week. But inviting us into repentance into forgiveness and asking God for his protection. Protect me both against the external forces of the enemy and the internal things inside of me that want to rage. So as we, as we end this morning, I want to encourage you to spend time this week considering where you're at with prayer. Like, like really spend time this week looking at your prayer life and patterns of your prayer life. Like, like, what does that look like for you? And then in prayer this week, ask the Lord, help me to, and then go through these four things. Help me to foster relationship with you. Like, find the time and the place to actually be in the secret this week. To be in that place where you're, you're alone, you can open up your heart, you're not distracted, you're not, you're not worried that someone's gonna barge in on you. Find the secret place and get vulnerable. Help me, secondly, to ask the Lord, help me to recognize my needs and admit them. Help me to ask for help. Lord, I need your help. Bear your heart before him. Ask the Lord to help me admit my sin. Ask for forgiveness. And then lastly, help me to walk in forgiveness towards blank. And we've probably all got that blank in our lives. Lord Jesus, as we end this morning, I, I want to thank you just for the incredible depth of these words that you spoke 
so long ago, and yet they are so profoundly relevant and full of truth for our lives today. Lord, amidst all the things that are swirling externally, internally, you invite us to pray and to get into that place in the secret place and begin to engage with your Father, begin to have that relationship and begin to see that, that in you is where, is where our identity is found. In you is where we receive our affirmation. God, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the gift of them. Lord, as we go into another week, I wanna pray that, that we would encounter you in such incredible and wonderful ways this week together, uh, both, both as, as an individual, Lord, but also together as the church. Lord, we want to encounter you this week, and we want to meet with you in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you spoke to us last week. Thank you for the way that you're moving amongst us, Lord, and thank you for the ways in which you will continue to speak to us as we pray and as we engage with you. Jesus, we thank you. We're so grateful to you. We love you. Amen.